0: Podcast from the Sunday night service at New Life Church. The Sunday night service reflects a desire to be rooted in the historic expressions of faith while engaging God with our whole being in the world today. For more information on New Life Church, you can visit our website at newlifechurch.org. Are you good? I don't know about you, but I think we're getting teased by this January weather. How many of you are having a sneaky feeling that we're going to pay for all these perfect January days, all right, but not on Sunday? We're still praying for that, right? No Sunday blizzards. All right, Monday blizzards. Everybody say Monday blizzards, because it's not if we're going to get a blizzard, it's when... The Monday blizzards. All right, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Hebrews chapter one, and if you want to get a head start, you can go to Matthew chapter eight as well. And uh, thank you so much for, again, for uh, the overwhelming support uh, to our website and to other areas for for the support of Haiti. Uh, Actually, West Stafford, the president of Compassion, said that their website was overwhelmed with people uh, from our website giving to Compassion. I just want to say thank you so much for being such a generous church and for believing in what God's doing on the earth and, and responding when there's a need That's why I don't have to beg and plead for you to respond. You just do it, and I really appreciate that. All right, this morning, we're going to continue our series of talks on the supernatural, the supernatural, and uh, we're going to talk about questions about faith this morning, and how many of you have ever heard someone say, uh, the reason you're sick is that you don't have enough faith? I don't like that, by the way. I don't, nobody... Please don't tell that to me, okay? But, and I, I've told you that week one, and it's kind of a little bit of a pet peeve to me because it's very judgmental, number one, and you don't know what my faith is. So don't tell somebody that they're sick because they don't have any faith. Now, it might be true that they're sick and not getting healed because they don't have any faith, but that's really between them and God. Don't you agree? All right, so I'm, I'm asking the question, as a believer like you, a fellow sojourner here on the earth, well, how much faith do I need? And Because it, the scriptures do say that we're healed by faith, we're saved by faith, and so faith is obviously very important here, and, and, and if we're going to be really mature believers, then we need to have faith. But I've often asked the question, how much do I need, and, uh, or how do I get more, and if, and if I can lose it, then how do I lose it? So I'm going to dive into some of these questions this morning and help answer some of these questions and maybe bring some clarity and simplicity to some of these questions because I think, uh, and I appreciate my brothers in the faith movement, but I think sometimes we've made it so complicated and so hard to understand that we just kind of give up. Have you ever been at home, and Pam can tell you I'm terrible at things like this, Uh, you know, you open the box, some assembly required... Have you ever noticed that? You open the box. One of the worst fights, disagreements that Pam and I have ever had was putting together like a $50 table from Walmart. Because I opened up the box and, there's, and it said, it's a nice little box and it was a very simple table kind of thing, but there was like four million little parts in there. And so about two hours into it, I was really frustrated and Pam then tried to help me, which guys, you know how fun that is. And I remember... Why is this so complicated? Can I, next time, can I just buy the store model that's already put together? I'm not one of those some assembly required kind of guys. And so I think that's the thing about faith sometimes. We have made it, we've opened up the box, we want to know more about faith, and there's a million parts in there. Why can't we just make it simple? Why can't we just look at scripture, read the scriptures, believe what the scriptures say, and move on from there. So that's what I'm going to do today. So here's the first question. And a lot of pieces of uh, this is a very good question to start off with. What is faith? I mean, is it some kind of nebulous thing that nobody can find? It kind of floats around as an invisible thing? No, it's very practical. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 is the quintessential definition of faith in the scriptures. Hebrews 11:1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. Now notice the two words in the the, the NIV, sure and certain. Now, for years, for thousands of years, translators have wrestled over these two verbs, these sure and certain, sure and certain. Actually, they're adverbs, I think. I don't know. Anyway, I don't know. Don't get me, grammatic. All right, sure and certain. So here's what it literally means, to have a firm persuasion or conviction. Let me ask you, here's, here's where you start with today. You have faith if you have discovered something about God through personal revelation that you're not willing to negotiate. Have you discovered anything in your life about God through scriptures? While reading scripture, most of the time this is when it happens, you're reading scripture and the Holy Spirit reveals something to you about God and at that moment in your life you are no longer willing to negotiate what you have discovered about God. That's when you have discovered faith. Faith is saying, I will not negotiate. I am convinced about this about God. So first of all, you'll never get healed of your sickness if you're not co- first convinced that God is good and that God is a healer. That's got to be non-negotiable to you. Now, I didn't, now remember week one I said, I don't think there's a 100% guarantee that we're all going to get healed every time we pray. That's not even the purpose of, of a lot of this teaching. The purpose of this teaching is to drive us more toward the centered heart of God, to know more about God, to understand more about God. So I'm asking you a question. What is it in your life today? I'm questioning you today. What is it that's non-negotiable to you about God? That's faith. I am certain of this. Now, for example, I know that Pam is faithful to me because I am sure and certain of several things about Pam. Number one, she's crazy about me. She's just crazy about me. Madly in love with me. I am sure and certain of that. I'm sure and certain that no matter what happens in my marriage with Pam, that we're in a covenant together and we're going to stay married as long as both of us are alive. That is sure and certain. That's non-negotiable to me. So I have faith in Pam. Pam has faith in me because she's sure and certain that I'm going to love her, support her, and be faithful to her. You understand that marriage is a type and shadow of our relationship with God. So is Parenting. And so faith starts with the idea of what is it that I am sure and certain about with God? What is it that I will not negotiate no matter how much the enemy wants me to negotiate? I will not negotiate. All right, here's the second question. How much do we need then? All I, right, I, some people say you don't have enough faith or you're a great man of faith. I've heard all these phrases. Well, who makes that determination? I mean, how much faith do we need? Well, let's look at the scriptures, okay? Because in the New Testament, there were four common phrases that identified amounts of faith. There was no faith, little faith, great faith, And full of faith. Those are the four common phrases when someone in Scripture is trying to identify a person who has an amount of faith. These are the four kind of statements that come out in the New Testament. By the way, I don't want to be in the no faith club. I don't want to be in that club. I know I've for sure been in the little faith club. At some point in my life, I want to graduate to being a person of great faith, and I certainly want to be called a man full of faith. By the way, the only human being in the New Testament that was ever described as a man full of faith was the deacon, Stephen. Stephen was a man full of faith. He was full of faith. There was Jesus said to a, a couple of people, you are a person of great faith. However, those two phrases were not used very commonly in the New Testament. Most often, when Jesus was talking to someone, he would say, you have no faith or you have little faith. Rarely, rarely, rarely did anyone in the New Testament get called someone full of faith or someone with great faith. All right, well, let's look at a couple of these stories. In Matthew chapter 6, this is a a Jesus sermon on the mount. He's got a big crowd of people in front of him, and he's really rebuking the crowd for being concerned so much with the local economy. He was rebuking the crowd for being so focused and so fixated on food and clothing and shelter. Which, by the way, all three are fairly important. But he was saying, don't be so focused on these things. So listen to what he says. Verse 30. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now, stop here for a minute because... Jesus is clearly pointing out to a group of people that they don't measure up, that their faith is lacking. Is that, is that true? So Jesus, is, Jesus has a faith o Jesus is saying, according to my faith o you are running a little low. You don't have much. You're running on fumes. Your faith is not great. Jesus is quantifying their faith. And then, though, let's fast forward because not, much long, not long after this, in Matthew chapter 8, he has this epic encounter with a centurion. And, and, he, and the centurion is asking Jesus, would you come and, and, and would you pray a prayer and for my servant to be healed from a distance? And the, so the centurion replied, Lord, verse 8, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, his a meter pegged out. Boom, pegged out. Faith a meter. He says he was astonished and said to those. And by the way, Jesus was always astonished when he found great faith because it was so uncommon. Isn't that true today? Come on now, let's be honest. We're all human beings here. It's uncommon today to find someone who really trusts God with all their heart, all their mind, all their soul, believes everything in Scripture and is willing to do whatever it takes. That's very uncommon. And Jesus says, I'm astonished. And said to those following him, I tell you the truth. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. So what was the difference between the crowd and the centurion? We're going to get to that in just a moment. There's a difference. Obviously, there was something different on the centurion. All right, now notice this. Here's, this is a big idea today. Huge, huge, huge idea. Most of us say, when we're talking about faith, and I've heard it, I say it, I'm, I'm guilty of saying this too. Most of you are guilty of saying it because I've heard you say it. You, when you talk about faith, you say things like this. We say things like this. Uh, I have faith for healing. I have faith for more finances. I have faith for... For something. Do you know that in the New Testament, that was not a phrase that was commonly used? 30 times in the New Testament, when a preposition followed faith, a prepositional phrase. Here's a more grammar lesson for you. Don't get glazed over. Don't get that look on your face. When a prepositional phrase followed the word faith, 30 times in the New Testament, it says faith in God. Not faith for something. If I have faith in God for healing. I have faith in God that he's going to supply our financial needs. I have faith in God that he is going to take care of my kids and they're going to follow Jesus. I have faith in God for something, but it was never faith for something. It was faith in God for something. Is it possible that we've been praying bad prayers using bad terminology Because in the New Testament, it was common faith in God. Ultimately, my focus is on Christ and Christ alone. If my body is healed, I will celebrate it. If I go to heaven, I will celebrate it. But I have faith in God, in his immutable character, in his nature, and in his power. My focus is on God. Let me write this down because this is money for you. I'm telling you what I'm about to say now was worth you getting up and coming to church for. I believe that... Faith in the New Testament is always used to talk about faith in God, not faith for an outcome. The measure of our faith is not seen by a number of prayers that get answered, but that by the amount of our life that we're willing to surrender. Come on now this is the idea. let me repeat this one more time. Faith in, the, I believe the measure of our faith is not in the number of prayers that we get answered. you can't measure your faith like that. The measurement in the New Testament of great faith was how much of our lives are we willing to surrender to God. The centurion's prayer was answered for healing, not because he asked for healing, but because he was completely convinced in the power of Jesus to do it. So the measure of our prayers, you know, like you pray a prayer, your prayer gets answered, you're full of faith. That's not the, the case in the New Testament. Although it is a good uh, hope that happens. Faith in God should be measured by how much of our lives, how much of our thoughts, how much of our, our will is willing to be surrendered completely to God. And when you find people who have a completely surrendered heart to God, you will often find a person whose prayers are getting answered, by the way. I'm, it got really quiet in here. I, got to, I must have hit a nerve of come kind. Here's the point, I think we use bad terminology. I believe we we treat God like an ATM machine. Like some genie that we can do something and you know get a genie and get three wishes kind of God. That's not who God is. God, you want to know what God wants from us? He would rather have our worship than our prayers. Ooh. Now chew on that for a minute. I didn't say He didn't want our prayers. I did not say that. If given the choice, God would rather have our worship. Our undying devotion rather than our prayers, I believe if we are a people of worship, we will pray. but if all we 're doing is praying so that some need could get met, but we 're in our heart we 're not worshiping him, you are setting yourself up for unanswered prayers. God first of all wants our complete devotion. He wants us to die to ourselves and live for him. And then when that happens in our heart, ask anything you want in my will and it will be done to you. But he first wants a surrendered heart. And I've found way too many people in the local church who have no intention of worshiping God. They just want everything that God says that they can have. They want all the benefits without any of the sacrifice. I want instant God. I want to put God in a microwave and in 30 seconds have a complete meal. I will not give him my time. I will not sacrifice. I'm not going to give to the things of the kingdom. I'm not going to serve the things of the kingdom. But I am so frustrated because when I pray, somehow I don't get any of my prayers answered. But why I'm not going to die, I'm not going to sacrifice. I'm not going to give my life away for anything. Yet we wonder why we pray prayers that bounce back right on us. God wants our worship first. He wants our worship our, our complete death to ourself. And when that happens, you'll, be, you'll, you'll start being a person that sees the miraculous. You want to be a naturally supernatural person? It's going to require your death. It's going to require you to worship first. To worship. So what causes our faith to diminish? I, I've kind of touched on a couple of... Jesus actually mentioned three things that causes our faith to diminish. And I'm going to tell you very quickly. Number one is worry. Matthew 6, we just read that. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. Worry will cancel out your faith. Worry, staying up at night, grinding your teeth fixated on a problem it'll cancel out the faith that god wants you to live with and that's why by the way when you're worshiping god you worship him because you believe he's for you that he's going to provide for you and so lord no matter what my bank account says i'm going to worship you and then somehow you become this person of great faith because i'm not going to worry i'm going to worship number two another thing that will cancel out faith is fear Matthew 8, without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. And I love that. <laughs> Jesus sound asleep. The boat tossing, turning, craziness going on outside. Let me ask you a question. How well can you sleep in, in bad days? How well are you sleeping right now? Because this is a good barometer. If you want to talk about a faith meter this is a good barometer right now of where you are as a person of faith. Are you sleeping well? What are you afraid of? Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. You know what I think Jesus should have said? He says, I did not come to the earth, born of a virgin, to drown for the sins of mankind. (laughs) Have I not told you how all this is going to end? Go to sleep. You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. You know, the enemy wants to intimidate us. He wants to scare us. Because the moment we become fearful, you won't won't pray the big bold prayers. You'll pray prayers of panic instead of prayers of faith. And most of us pray when we're panicked anyway. Oh God, help me. We're going to drown. Instead of saying, Lord, I believe You've already told us how this thing's going to end. I trust you. Fear will cancel it out. Number three, doubt. Some may say unbelief, doubt, or unbelief. Same, basically the same thing. Matthew 14, verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Now, this is an amazing story because Peter actually believed Jesus. So Peter gets out of the boat. This is another storm, a separate storm. Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water. Not, I, I, let me just say this up front. Peter gets a, a lot of ridicule. He was the only one to get out of the boat. And I love that about Peter. He got out of the boat, didn't he? He was, he was crazy maybe, but he was, he was full of faith. And he, and he started walking toward Jesus, but when he saw the wind, notice here, notice, what did he see? What did he see? He saw the wind. And he was afraid and began to ask, began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Again, the prayer of panic. Listen to what Jesus, immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? Because it's a storm, and I'm walking on this water, and it's, I mean, it's obvious why he was doubting. But here's, here's the point that Jesus was making. You were so courageous. You believed so greatly, and then something happened. You lost your focus. You started focusing on something else. All right, so let me ask you a question, then, if that's how we look, our faith diminishes, how do we build it? All right, to go to the story here in Matthew chapter 17, because I want to read this to you, and this is an interesting insight that I, that I believe God's given us. Matthew 17, verse 14. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, notice how he addresses Jesus, by the way. He didn't say teacher. He didn't say rabbi. He said Lord. He identified Jesus as the Messiah. So in his heart, in his heart, he believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah. Lord. Have mercy on my son. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. Now notice the description. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? You know, Jesus is a little aggravated here. I don't want to ever be around aggravated Jesus because he he was aggravated here. And he says, How long am I gonna put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Then Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy. He was healed from that moment, just like that pow. Then the disciples, with their tail tucked between their legs, came to Jesus in private and said, Why couldn't we drive it out? Because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So Jesus says, look, I know you're on a journey. I know you're not always going to get it right. You don't have to be this huge man of faith. He said, if you have faith the size of the grain of a mustard seed, you can do amazing things. You can cause miracles to happen on the earth. Why did the disciples blow it then? Listen, the disciples had already experienced healing. The disciples had already been sent out two by two, and they came back with great reports. We laid hands on the sick and saw them get well. We cast out demons. They had seen it. They had done it. Why then, when called to this epic encounter, did they fall short? Here's what I believe. Have you ever seen a little boy have a seizure? It's it's terrifying. A helpless little boy have a seizure and then fall into a fireplace while he's having a seizure. Or you're at the beach or at, at, at the lake or somewhere, and the little boy falls into the water and begins to drown while having a seizure. This is what they were seeing. This is what they were experiencing. So it's important to note, it's important to note that Jesus and the writer, the Matthew, the writer, and Jesus are pointing out some very specific details to say something to us. Why do you think, that these disciples in this particular instance were not able to, to heal this boy. I think they were overwhelmed by the diagnosis. I think, I think they got really distracted. It's a terrifying thing to see a child have a, a seizure. Even more terrifying to see them thrown into a fire or into water. What, what, what was different I believe you're gonna focus on what you think is the source of your hope. I think sometimes when we get bad reports from doctors, we become so fixated on the problem, terrified by the prognosis. And while we do ask people to pray for us, while we may pray for ourselves, most of our attention and our focus is on the sickness. And I told you last week, I don't think we should check our brains at the door because we're, we believe in healing. If you have a prognosis, then educate yourself. You might be doing something that's maybe causing the problem to get worse. And by educating yourself, you can actually do some, make some changes in your lifestyle. You can make some intelligent choices about treatment. I am completely for that. However, don't let that be the thing you fixate the most on. I know people who know more about their disease than they do about what the scriptures say about their healing. I didn't say not to know about the disease. I said, make sure that you know what the scriptures say about you and your life and God. Fixate, focus on the thing of the very source of your hope. Let's go back to Matthew 14. Notice this. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind... And he's, he should have been. He should have noticed the wind. It was a storm. It wasn't a calm ocean. It was a stormy night. Jesus is pointing this out to you. This is why God would rather have our worship than our prayers. Sometimes all we're doing is praying panicked prayers anyway. Prayers of fear. Prayers of panic. Prayers of desperation. Listen, all those pra- praying is praying, and so I don't want you to stop praying. But I would rather pray out of a heart of worship than out of a heart of fear panic. And that's why I believe that we've made such a small deal out of heaven. That's why people get panicked about sickness. I'm going to heaven or I'm going to be healed. Either way, I win. I am not going to be a man of fear no matter what someone says to me. I have no reason to fear. You don't have any reason to fear. And and so let's read, I want to end with this. Here's what happens. Everything starts with a thought that you believe to be true. Everything starts with a thought. And thoughts become attitudes. Attitudes become actions. Actions become habits. And habits ultimately form our character. What are you believing today? What are you thinking the most about today? What what is controlling your thoughts? Are you laying awake at night wondering if you're going to lose your house or not? Listen, that's a real fear. I understand that's a real concern. I know that. I grew up. I grew up in a, in, a, in a very poor home where we lost everything. I've been through that. I know what it feels like. I know what it feels like not to have any food in the house. I have lived it. I know that. But here's the point I'm making to you today is, what is dominating your thoughts this morning? What is it that's captured your attention? Because that will determine how you pray, first of all. It'll determine if they're answered. God wants our worship more than he wants our prayers. Start with worship, pray later. Worship, give him your heart, give him your thoughts. I am not gonna be terrified by some report. I am not gonna be ruled by fear. My focus, my focus is on Christ. Here's three things, write these three things down. I'm going to focus on the nature of God, who he is, the immutable characteristics of God. I'm going to focus on who God is. I'm going to focus on the person of Jesus Christ, who Jesus is, what he did, what he said. And I'm going to focus on the power of the Holy Spirit that's still on still at work on the earth today. The nature of God, the person of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit. I am going to have my thoughts, my emotions, my body consumed with thinking about who God is, who Jesus is, and the nature and the power of the Holy Spirit. And out of that, I then will begin to pray the bold prayers for healing. I then will will have the courage to pray one more time for a sick person who's dying of cancer. I then know that my heart's not being controlled by fear. It's being controlled by something much better than that. It's being controlled by God. Therefore, I will pray with faith. I might not be a man of great faith, but I will have faith then to pray for the thing that I've been, I need to pray for. It, 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 all of it is determined by what we're focused upon. Hebrews 12, verse one. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, why did he mention that? that I, I personally believe, and I've said this out of the pulpit before, I personally believe that heaven is a witness to us. That heaven can see the affairs of the earth. I, I do believe that. Why is it that he mentioned this? Because Hebrews 11 is a great hall of fame of faith. Abraham and Moses and all the great people of faith. He says, therefore, since you're surrounded by these witnesses who have run the race themselves, why then let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter, the perfecter. He started it, he will perfect it. He gave you faith. By the way, none of you were born again unless you had faith in Jesus. You have to have faith to be born again. We're saved by grace, by faith, not by our works. lest any of us boast. It's very clear that you had a measure of faith when you said yes to Jesus and made him the Lord of your life. It took faith on that day to say those words and to believe it in your heart and to believe that you're born again. So you all have experienced faith. Now, who's going to make it perfect? Who's responsible for giving you faith? Who? Some guy on TV? Pastor Brady, no, I can't give it to you. I can just tell you about it. I can just live it out in front of you, but I can't give it to you. Who gives you faith? Jesus, Jesus. all right? God, God gives us faith. All right, then, then who, who then wants to partner with you to perfect it? That sounds like it's too good to be true. Are you sure about that? It, it, so God gives it to me. I don't have to earn it. I just have to believe it. And then God says, I am going to come alongside you. And I'm gonna perfect it, make it perfect in you. I'm gonna do it with you. All you have to do is agree with me, all you have to do is obey, all you have to do is follow me. I'm gonna make it strong, I'm gonna grow it. I'm not putting the responsibility on you. Just agree with me, just just cooperate with me, and I will perfect it in your heart. The author, in other words, the person who first gave it to us, and the one who's gonna make it perfect in us, is Jesus. If you'll focus on Him. Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Scorning its shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Focus this morning. I'm calling you back to focus. Some of you have been looking to the left and looking to the right, and Christ today is saying, focus your eyes on me today. Right now, it's a very simple message I'm giving you today. Whatever has your focus will get your worship. It may not be a bad thing you're worshiping, but you're going to worship whatever you're focused upon. Whatever you're fixated on, whatever you're talking the most about, whatever you're thinking about, that's what you're worshiping. And by the way, every person in this room and every person listening to my voice is a worshiper. We're all worshipers. We're just worshiping something. A lot of crazy people in Dallas worshiping the Cowboys. A lot of crazy people here worshiping the Broncos. But we're all worshipers. (laughs) Fix your eyes on Jesus today. Fix your eyes on him right now. Make up your mind that primarily, substantially, my thoughts, my worship is going to be toward Christ. And then, and then once that happens in your heart, start praying for the miracles then. We've gotten it backwards, I believe. Pray for the miracles, worship him some. Nope. I'd rather you worship him always and pray some. I'd rather you worship him always and pray always, because that's what scripture actually says to do. Worship him always, pray without ceasing. You find a person that does that, I can show you a person who's seeing miracles, who's seeing God move. I can show you a person who's seeing the miraculous, the supernatural happening all around them when they are primarily fixated on Jesus and they're praying without ceasing. They have, they have welcomed the power of the Holy Spirit in their heart. Nothing else is going to get their worship. Nothing else is going to uh, get them off that focus. Those are the people that see healings. Those are the people that see great prayers answered. Yeah, I don't know how many of you have read. And I'm closing with this again. Smith Wigglesworth is a great, great story. If you read his biography now, you're going to be, it's going to really upset half of you because he was really radical. One of the things that I love, one of the great stories about Smith Wigglesworth was that he opened the door one day and a guy wanted to come talk to him about healing and prayer and miracles. And Smith saw under his arm this newspaper. This is back before computers, obviously, and that's the only source of news was primarily a newspaper. And Smith Wigglesworth says, you've got to leave that newspaper outside because I don't focus on the things, the bad things that are happening around me. Now I'm not advocating that, but here's the point I'm making. I'm advocating the fact that Smith Wigglesworth had discovered if he was going to see great miracles, he, his focus and his attention had to be on Christ. And he would not allow things to come into his world that would cause him to be distracted. And for him, it was media. Media, he discovered that it was something that would distract him. So he made a choice. I I don't want to let that into my world because it's going to distract me. I'm not saying not to be aware of world events. That's not what I'm advocating. I'm just saying lay aside anything today that's distracting you. Are you willing to push it aside if it's distracting you from something that God wants to do in your heart? Will you say no to some things? Will you fast some things? This is what fasting does for us. It gets our focus back on God. Fasting food or fasting media, fasting entertainment, fasting whatever, gets our focus back on Christ, the risen Christ so that we'll worship him purely, so that faith will begin to rise in our, and so that we'll pray and prayers will get answered. That's it. That's the simple formula this morning. Can I pray? Let's pray together right now. Could you close your eyes and bow your head with me this morning? And my challenge to myself and to you, the challenge for all of us this morning is fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. I want to pray against worry, fear, and doubt today. Some of your fear is consuming people right now. It's, it's, an epic, it's an epidemic among people. Christ followers. Fear is just paralyzing many of us today. Bad reports, fear of the future, fear of now, fear of something, fear of getting sick or something. Could you just confess today if you're fearful? First, first, first step to getting rid of fear is confessing that you're afraid. Just saying it, Lord, I'm afraid, I'm, 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 I'm fearful, help me. I confess that fear, worry, or doubt, what are you worrying about, fear, worry, doubt? The first step to getting free from those three things is saying it to the Lord, I, I confess, I'm worrying way too much. I'm fearful about this. I doubt this, I have unbelief about this. Just say it, it's okay to say it. We need to be an authentic people who know how to walk authentically with each other and with God. The greatest weapon you have in your fight against the enemy is an honest heart but for God. It is your greatest weapon today. Now use it. If you'll just live sincerely and honestly before God, the enemy will find it very difficult to confuse you. He'll, he'll find it very difficult to, uh, to, to mess with you in any way. If you'll just say, God, here I am. I am going to live honestly before you. And I am fearful today. I'm worrying. I'm doubtful. I just confess it, Lord. I'm, I want to be more perfect in this. I want you to help me. Would you help me? Right where you're sitting, when you make that confession this morning, confession is powerful. It's a powerful tool that we've gotten away from confessing. And so this morning, I, I, I believe I'm to, supposed to challenge all of us to become a tribe of people that really worship Him first. Worship Him. My adoration is for you, Lord. My focus is on you. I'm going to worship you. Good times, bad times, doesn't matter what the times are. I'm going to worship you in spirit and in truth. I'm going to give it all, all in. That's the phrase that's reverberating in me right now. All in. I'm all in, God. All for you. All in. Completely committed. Father, thank you so much. Let our eyes be fixed on you today. Father, I pray that we will settle this issue in our heart. You're good. You're healer. You're for us. You walk with us. You will not abandon us. You have given us what we need for life and godliness. Your power is the same today as it was yesterday and will be the same tomorrow. You were, you are, and you will be. You are the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. You're the king of heaven, the king of glory. Father, we settle that in our heart. They're non-negotiable to us. And because of that, we'll worship you. And Lord, because of that, faith will begin to blossom and grow in our hearts. And because of that, we'll pray the bold prayers and see the miracles happen around us. We will experience it. I sense that. I know it. I know it's already happening. We believe it today. We receive what you've done for us. Jesus holy Name, In Jesus name, Amen, would you stand this morning? So good to see all of you. I want our altar team to step out this morning and be prepared to pray now listen, I, I want to say thank you. I heard so many great reports about about what you, about you this week about you some of you t- took my pledge to take communion every day and I, I had one man tell me it was just wrecking his heart that he he 'd been walking with God for years and years but had lost his awe of the, of, the, of the sacraments. And this week he found himself crying and weeping for the first time in years as he was receiving communion at his house. See, this is what I want. I, I want more than miracles. I, I want changed hearts. That's what my prayer is. I want, I want our hearts to be radically changed by God. So I want, to, I want to encourage you to keep doing that. Receive the elements at home. Receive the sacraments at home as much as you want. But if you need prayer this morning, step out. We have faith today to pray for it. I have faith. I know these people have faith to pray for healing today. If you want you need healing, come on. Step out. If your body, there's something going on in your body, I, I'd be the first one down here just to, and to make a declaration. I am, I believe this. I want this. I, I have faith. I, and, and we're not praying panic prayers down here. We're not going to pray panicky prayers. We're praying prayers of faith and boldness today. Because we believe it. Sincerely believe it. Unashamedly believe it. So can I pray for you today? Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you so much. Give us faith. Help increase our faith. Lord, we thank you that worry, fear, and doubt will not define us as a people. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. Make sure you find somebody you've never met. Introduce yourself. Say hi. If you need prayer, you step out right now and let us pray for you.